All right, good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's News from the Drug Ball Front. My name is Jeff, and my co-presenter is Marion. Good morning to you. Good morning, Jeffrey, and good morning, listeners. Oh, wake up, rise and shine, get your coffee, back to bed, and listen to news from the Drug Ball Front, because the fog's just going, but the cold isn't. It was foggy morning, wasn't it? It wasn't. I could not see Mount Ainsley this morning for love nor money. I know how foggy it is if Mount Ainsley has disappeared. Is that the judge's <laughs> name? That's how I tell whether I should go out with a coat on or not. <laughs> <laughs> Very sensible. All right, listeners, well, I hope you're in a, a comfortable spot. Um, we'll be giving some details about the uh, annual IDRS survey, which are uh, kicking off their um, visit to Canberra today at yeah. the Karma office. From And it's incentivised people, remember? Yeah. You get money for doing that one. Yeah. So we've got well, details on that. Marion will have some details in a second. Anyway, welcome, listeners, to this uh, edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. Karma is a peer-based, community-controlled drug use organisation with over two decades serving the uh, ACT. Uh, going back historically, the development of the Needle and Syringe Program, or NSP, the expansion of opioid uh, maintenance treatments, sometimes called opioid substitution or OST treatments, and the funding of drug use organisations began as part of the highly successful public health response to the HIV-AIDS epidemic back in the 1980s. By involving affected communities, Australia was able to keep HIV infection rates very low by global standards, and those groups were, of course, injecting drug users, sex workers and gay men, mm -hmm. as you remember well. Men who have sex with men. Men who have yeah. sex with men. Yeah. yeah, thank you for picking me up on that. Another virus that, of course, uh, affects injecting drug users is hepatitis C, and one of the most exciting developments probably in the last couple of decades has been the direct-acting antivirals. Absolutely, which has just blown everybody out of the water with their effectiveness, um, their lack of side effects, and the shortness of time, 12 weeks only. Maximum and some eight. Absolutely, just yeah. a fabulous set of drugs to use to get rid of that nasty hep C and clean up your liver so that it's fit for organ transplantation if you so desire. I know. I remember when fabulous. you first mentioned that, Marion, and I was blown away yeah. by, by that. It's just it's a fabulous thing. Great idea. Anyway, we've got some great things for you this week, and um, including the illicit drug reporting system, as Jeffrey said. Um, but we might have a song first, yeah? Yeah, we'll go to a song. This is um, Lou Reed, and it's called uh, The Last Shot. This is Lou Reed. <laughs> That. That's great. You hadn't heard that one before? I have not heard that one before, but it's an interesting concept. I wonder what we would do if we knew that it was our last shot. Yeah. yeah. All right. It's about, uh, what is it, 10.38, and you're listening to News from the Drug War Front with Jeff and Marion in the 2XX studio, 98.3 FM, people-powered radio. And you've got some details about... Uh... Yes, I've got some details on the uh, illicit drug reporting system. Now, today... The um, interviews are being held at Karma from 10 till 4pm. Now, that's Shop uh, 17, Level 154, Benjamin Way, Bell Conan. If you ring 6253, if you haven't got an appointment for an interview because you'll need an appointment, um, but you do get paid for your time with well, the I IDRS. Yeah, Julie asks a couple of questions just to make sure you're eligible. Well, they yeah, want to speak to drug filtering users. filtering questions yeah. to make sure that you're an appropriate person to answer the survey. But you do get paid. You do get paid you when eligible. you're allowed through, yeah, yes. Yeah. But so you get in touch. Anyway, Julia's the person to contact. At the moment, we don't have a phone number for Julia, but if you ring 62533643, which is Karma's number, 
That's where the researchers will be today from 10 till 4. You can get in touch with someone who will refer you to Julia or give you Julia's number because tomorrow, uh, for the rest of the week anyway, Wednesday the 16th of June from 9 till 4pm, the uh, study will be held probably, I would say, at the Department of Health because I haven't got a location for that. It's on usually my One More Street, isn't it? That it's usually on the corner of yeah. Moore and Linger yeah. Yeah, at the health building. So Wednesday from 9am till 4pm, Thursday 17th of June 9am till 4pm, Friday the 18th of June 9am till 4pm and Monday the 21st of June from 9am till 4pm. Now my memory of it is that it's around about three quarters of an hour to an hour to, interview yeah. sometimes if you chat too much. It or goes for an hour and a half. Particular lines of questioning. That's right. But they and sometimes they stick in more questions That's each true. year or they pull some out depending yep. upon if they're appropriate. And it'd be interesting to know if they're doing anything about the uh, wastewater detection of drugs because there's always been um, stuff about that and finding, you know, traces of the COVID-19 virus in wastewater. Yes. And also, if you look at the Saturday paper about uh, Operation Ironside, they use wastewater assessment for how much drug and the way of drugs people are consuming. Mm. They say, you know, Australians are hooked right into it, but particular for cocaine, Canberra, Sydney and the Gold Coast are the main areas for uh, consumption of cocaine. Anyway... But maybe the 22nd of June they might be doing interviews as well. So you need to set aside a bit of time. You need to see Julia first. They'll do some, she will do a couple of assessment questions to see if you've been uh, an injector for the right amount of time, whether you've ever shared, that kind of stuff, just to, as, a, as filtering, just to make sure they're interviewing you because you're the right sort of person to give them the information that they need because it's the illicit drug reporting system. It's an important piece of statistical it is. They information. Do it every year, yeah. and I've actually done it every year. Uh, the unit's a combined um, program of research from the University of New South Wales and the National Drug and Alcohol Research Centre, mm -hmm. so NDARC and Uni of New South Wales. And it comes out with some interesting stuff, and they actually are very good at feeding back now, they used to be shocking at it. They used to just get information and hang on to it. It was like it was something that they owned, but they didn't give it back. Well, now they're feeding it back to us. So we can find out in a lot of ways where we're up to. Yeah. Too. What so the trends are. What, what the people... trends are. I mean, what our uh, what we should be basing our programs on. Yeah, mm. It's really quite important stuff and where money should be going, how we should be spending funds. So the research is really useful and it's applicable. Yeah. So please, if you think you're um, you're suitable for the research, get in touch with Julia. Ring Karma six two five three three six four three. Find out how to get in touch with Julia. They will probably have a she'll mobile number for her, or she'll be there right then. now. Yeah. And she'll be there now. And yep. um, you can talk to her and maybe do your assessment over the phone. Yeah. Save Make yourself. an appointment for your interview. Yes. So yeah. Just useful stuff. Yeah. So go for it. But Karma, by the way, does plenty of other things. It continues to run its Australia First op uh, Opioid Overdose Recognition Response Workshop with naloxone. And the next uh, two workshops are at Ainsley Village on the 22nd of June from 2pm. And then on the 29th of June 
uh, that's another Tuesday at the Early Morning Centre from 2pm. Again, if you ring David or Damo on 62533643, you can um, you can line up for that workshop. Again, it's incentivised. You get paid to do it. But you also learn how to save somebody's life, and that's really important because now that we're using Nixoid, <coughs> as opposed to well, originally we were using injectable naloxone, and uh, that was useful, but it actually meant people were spending a lot of time... Well, you had to draw it up and inject it intramuscular. And it was was a little bit intimidating for people who were not used to injecting Mm. other people. So people who don't inject, it was also intimidating for. So although it was just an intramuscular injection, some people often don't like giving injections. But So the the, uh, puffer, the nasal spray, is really useful. Um, and it comes with, you know, it's really easy to use. You just make sure you don't prime it. Yeah. But it's a great thing to use. Anyway, so get in touch with David or Damo. Get yourself organised for a workshop on uh, saving somebody's life after a, an opioid overdose or an opiate op- overdose. Um, and you can be a knight in shining armour. Yeah, and how powerful is that? Yep. Really? To be able to save someone's life? I, look, it's a fabulous thing, Jeffrey, and I don't know how many people have done it, but I, it's such an easy thing to do. Mm. You learn First, you learn how to do um, heart compressions to get people's hearts starting again because if they're not breathing, you can't inject the nixoid. That they will not inhale it. It may um, be absorbed through the mucous membranes in the nose, but it will, it's quicker if it's inhaled. Yeah. So well, you just you push it up a nostril, squirt it, and they're away. People die because they stop breathing. That's the problem with um, overdosing on opioids, and we don't want um, to have people unnecessarily die for the want of you know somebody administering a squirt of naloxone up their nasal passage. Absolutely, absolutely. It would be terrible. Yeah, six two five three. I think I must have. Mary's just texted me. I must have given the wrong number. Six two five three three six four three. I must have said six one or something. Yeah. All right. Well, look, look, thanks, Mary. Just give that one more time. Six two five three three six four three. Call Dave or Damo. Yep. And Karma does a whole lot of other things, Mass. We do a lot, of, a lot of other things. Yes. Um, we help people with a wide range of issues like opioid maintenance treatment programs. That's methadone or buprenorphine. And more recently, the new long-lasting injectable forms of bup, uh, known as buvidal or sublocade. The availability of detox and rehab services in the ACT, wide-ranging negative impact of stigma and discrimination, which is an absolute pain for everybody. And then difficulties with getting access to proper pain relief or palliative care. In fact, all issues faced by people adversely impacted by prohibition or the war on people who use drugs. Which we've been talking about for as long as we've been doing the show. Ad nauseum, ad infinitum. But that's our passion. We want to get these laws changed. They are a nightmare. And look at how much money is wasted. Just, you know, billions of dollars that is... And then drugs that are just burnt... And you just think, where's that all going? That just puts the price up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a big bit of the paper, Jeffrey, on Saturday about Operation Ironside that we talked about last, last week. week, and the impact that that's having on the street, and the, you know, the assumption that uh, that it's going to, you know, in fact they're saying it's already made 
an impact on uh, drug price hikes and desperation on the streets. And, yeah, I mean, I sort of maybe dispute that a bit. Well, some will fill the gap. Inevitably, that's what money happens. It, may, it might be for a day, yeah, but sooner or later, usually sooner, somebody jumps in and fixes up. Yeah. Well, if drug busts had solved and created a drug-free world, we would be there it would <laughs> a long time 34 ago. 34%, they reckon, of all drugs that ca- that are imported to Australia are interdicted, intercepted, right? Okay. So that's over a third. So what does that mean about the fact that that people are still getting access to them and they still will ever get access yeah. to them because there's too much money yeah. invested in making it available. Yeah, we've got a story which um, we'll talk about in today's Canberra Times after the next song, but I just um, want to mention the contents of this news from the Drug War Front broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and does not promote illegal activity. Karma recognises that drug use happens and as such, Karma focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. Karma seeks to reduce the harms associated with drug use as well as the harms associated with the criminalisation of drug use through the provision of empowering programs that concentrate on community development, person-centred holistic health care and equity of health service delivery for all people. Mm. So we're just wanting to give drug users, you know, a fair shake, I guess, really. In in every area of their lives that they are not given a fair shake in, and the truth is that's every area of their lives, Jeffrey. You know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, that discrim- we are discriminated against, we are stigmatised, we are treated as if... Even if you are considered an ex-drug user, right? People Mm. still treat you with suspicion. Yeah. So you can't even stop using, like like good old, uh, what's his name said, you know, if you knew you were having your last shot, what would you make it? Because what would your next step be? Mm. You don't ever really get to be an ex-drug user. You get to be maybe a non-using person. Yeah, but you still have that black mark. People still think that, Still, still think that you have that propensity to use. You can't give up and stay given up because you're probably going to fall back in a hole mm. somewhere along the lines. I just think that's what they think. Yeah, and it's, it, it's know, wrong and it's unfair. Families yeah. do that, uh, yeah. and you know the world does that. And instead of thinking that the drug laws are wrong, it's the criminals. The individuals, you know, we wrong. become criminals. We yeah. become. Ex Order of Australia recipients. Yeah, we get marginalised or treated badly. In the last couple of years, like 20 years ago, um, breaking the law meant no more Order of Australia. Two years ago, we had drug users being given Orders of Mm. Australia Mm. for working within our community. Um, And because they hadn't hadn't been accused and found guilty of breaking the law, they were part of the community, but they were still yeah, there's a you lot know, allowed to have Order of Australia. It's a little bit strange, but there you go. There's a lot of hypocrisy involved. A lot it? of hypocrisy. And, I, you know, it's, it, bad laws, do they make bad people or bad people break the law? Or, you know, what does that make us? Where are we on the spectrum? I think bad laws are the problem, Erin. Mm. Are we going to do that well, next do, yeah, do the song? This is, um, do haven't played this first? one for a while. It's sort of a, a good... Uh, tongue-in-cheek song by the Wallbangers and it's called Kick the Drugs. This is the Wallbangers. 
<laughs> All right, that was the wall bangers and kick the drugs. You're with Jeff and Marin in the two double X ninety eight point three FM people powered radio. That's right. Two double X. That's us. That's us. And okay. we've got a piece from the Canberra Times. Yeah, today's today. Canberra Times. It is um, the drugs law warning. It's on the front page of the Canberra Times. It's by Lucy Bladen. A bill to decriminalise small amounts of illicit drugs in the ACT could inadvertently enable drug trafficking, the Territory's police has warned. Police have urged for a reduction in proposed possession limits for heroin and ice, saying that two grams of ice could equate to about 20 small doses, 20 doses and was, quote, far above, end quote, regular personal use amounts. I would, um, yeah, I would probably argue that. In a submission to an inquiry into the bill, ACT Policing said traffickers have already taken advantage of the 50-gram possession limit for dry cannabis in the Territory. Under the private member's bill put forward by Labor backbencher Michael Pedersen in February, Canberrans would not face criminal sanctions for possessing small amounts of certain drugs. The proposed changes would set a possession limit of 2 grams for cocaine, ice and heroin and 0.5 grams for ecstasy. Those caught with drugs within the possession limits would face a fine of $100 as opposed to going through the criminal justice system. Now, while police welcomed the proposed law and supported harm minimisation, they said some proposed possession limits could lead to trafficking and said the limits for heroin and ice should be revised down. ACT Policing said in its submission to the uh, the possession amounts across the drugs appears to be inconsistent. Deborah. Oh, okay, yes, it goes to me. For instance, two grams of heroin could be approximately eight doses, two grams of methamphetamine or ice could be approximately 20 doses. Half a gram of MDMA could be less or more than one dose, depending on purity, their submission said. If enacted in its current form, the bill would have the inadvertent effect of enabling trafficking, the police submission said. Submission went on to say, uh, we'd like to see more of an evidence base um, that the proposed thresholds for each substance are based on research specific for the ACT. I don't know how you research that stuff, Geoffrey. How do you find out how much people are using when they're not allowed to use it, it's I mean, I just, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a furphy. I think they're chucking it in to say, let, if we can't talk about the whole law, let's take little bits of it and make a mess of it. What don't they start with the law and fiddle about with the bits and pieces later on, further down the track? I just think this is a, it's just a, a an argument that maybe serves their purposes and delays everything rather than going straight to the point, which is about decriminalising the use of small amounts of drugs. Because, frankly, I think think these these two-gram limits are about individual um, needs and where they're up to, and I don't know how you assess that, how the police could assess that, because it's not for them to judge what's a personal a use for personal and what's an amount for personal use or not. I actually think they have to enforce the law, but why not just be sensible about it? And yeah, look, um, I think you're probably right about them looking for areas to nitpick. But yeah. anyway, ACT police said it was already aware of drug traffickers selling cannabis using their knowledge of the laws. 
The possession and cultivation of cannabis in the ACT was legalised in early 2020. In its submission, police outlined a situation in which there had been an anonymous report about a man who'd sold drugs at a children's playground. An anonymous report? That it's seems probably a park. When police arrived at the playground, they found a man who had nine clip seal bags of cannabis in a bum bag along with a $10 note. The man denied selling cannabis and successfully argued the amount was within the possession limits. Police were unable to get any evidence as no witnesses gave formal statements and the man got off. However, he was later arrested and charged with trafficking cannabis to three Indigenous children. Thirteen submissions to the inquiry have been made public so far, and of those, most are in support of the decriminalisation. So that's good to hear. A number of submissions, I know Karma was finalising its um, submission uh, uh, because the deadline was... Pretty, pretty much now, yeah, I think. Yeah, um, Depending, so it was just I would think. Wrapping up. And I think the whole point is to take it out of the criminal justice system, Marion. In, indeed it is. And when, instead of fiddle-farting around with, you know, amounts for possession, look at the, the whole lot in context. Yeah. The point is to get people away from criminal justice system and start thinking about the reality of drug use, the fact that it exists... It's going to keep on happening and no matter how big or how small the amounts, whether it's 1,000 grams or whether it's 0.2 grams, yeah, it's going to still be there. There will always be people available to get whatever drug you want for you. Um, And if it isn't the drug you want, it'll be the drug they're prepared to provide for you and some people are prepared to go with that. Not the drug they want, but the drug they need. Well, I was reading the European um, report and they were saying, I think it was over 400 novel psychoactive substances have been found in one year. So it's more than one new drug in a day. Yeah, not a surprise really, is it, when you think about it? No. So, look, let's hope common sense prevails and we can get this decrim bill. Find out what the real problem is. Yeah. yeah. It is is it about nitpicking and holding up the legislation or is it about having a legitimate or needing to have a statement from the for, for the front page of the Canberra Times, mm. yeah? Good point. I think we need to go to the news, I you, darling. I th- think that's absolutely right. This is the 11 o'clock news. Go for it. All right, you're listening to news from the drug war front. It is four minutes after 11 on 2XX 98.3 FM, people-powered radio. And just to finish that story that Marion and I were talking about before the 11 o'clock news, um, the Canberra Canberra Community Law, in its submission, has said that the decriminalisation bill should provide alternative penalties such as community service for those who cannot afford the proposed $100 fine. Quote, a penalty of $100 for a simple drug offence is a potentially oppressive form of punishment for people who could be experiencing homelessness in circumstances where it is not uncommon for them to accrue excessive infringement notices, fines and charges for minor poverty-related criminal offending, the Canberra Law Submission said. ACT Council of Social Services Chief Executive Emma Campbell said, quote, the development of this bill is an opportunity for the Australian Capital Territory to demonstrate leadership in drug policy and harm reduction and position itself as a world-leading jurisdiction. And I totally agree with uh, Emma Campbell's um, quote. That's from the front page of today's Canberra Times. And uh, as I said, uh, Karma has put in its submission, also agreeing with the point that a $100 fine is still uh, a punitive punishment for personal drug use and could potentially lead to people uh, being unable to pay that uh, 
$100 fine or multiples of the $100 fine. And uh, it's not really decriminalising um, personal drug use. So I just hope that the ACT government can hold strong against uh, the obvious criticism that's going to come about any uh, slight step in the progressive direction of drug law reform and realise that six decades of prohibition has not created a successful outcome. There are more drugs, more harmful drugs than ever, and uh, the amount of money being spent on policing, interdiction, uh, the criminal justice system, uh, the jail system, and the long-term impact on people's lives is uh, incalculable. Okay, it might go to a song. This is The Rolling Stones. Uh, should be Gimme Shelter, but um, I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, it's a Rolling Stones song. All right, that was Gimme Shelter by The Rolling Stones. It's coming up about uh, 10 min- oh, 11 minutes after 11. You're with Jeff and Marion. This is news from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. And I just um, before we go to our first international story, I just wanted to remind people who are listening who um, participate in the Illicit Drug Reporting System, or IDRS, which come to Canberra once a year. Uh, their first day in Canberra, they're going to be um, setting up in, the, in our office, in the Karma office, which is in the Church's Centre, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way, Belconnen. They're there at the moment. If you're listening, shout out from Marion and us. Hope, <laughs> hope it's all going well. Um, hope Julia and the researchers are getting uh, plenty of people coming along. But if you want to um, talk to Julia beforehand and just um, check that you're eligible for the, um, the survey, because there is a payment that comes with it, call Karma on 6253-3643. And uh, have a quick chat and see um, if you're yeah. eligible. And they, they're going to be here for the rest of the week, most likely. At and the, the beginning of next week, by the look of it, Monday at least, possibly Tuesday, I think they're saying. Maybe Tuesday, the 22nd of June I guess they're well. here until they do their quota. They'll get as many as they can get. Sometimes people are, um, are there on time. Sometimes they miss an appointment. So, But it's best to make an appointment um, for a time when you can get there. But first of all, you've got to speak to Julia and make sure that you're eligible to be included in the research. That's really important. So ring 62533643 today. Get yourself an appointment or get Julia's number. Um, get in contact with her and make an appointment for some time during this coming week um, and get paid to be interviewed and contribute to the uh, illicit drug reporting system because it is important and it provides really useful information. Uh, Stuff we can use as well as stuff that the police and, you know, the rest of the world can use and compares us with the rest of the world, but it also gives... Um, NDARC and UN New South Wales, in fact the government, they report this to the government as well, gives them a rough idea of what we're like, what we're doing and they they can also find out what sort of questions to ask too. So contribute to the information that they have because constantly assuming that we're all either just dying off or going to drop off the mortal coil or give up um, because the police are full of activity when in fact it's not the truth we just sort of sometimes slip away and nobody hears from us you know because if you identify yourself as a current drug user you're discriminated against so Mm. you're not honest about your behavior not with your doctor and often not with your family because of what you face when you say that you use drugs 
So anyway. No, I agree with you completely, Mary. And it's yep. actually one of the most um, pernicious and harmful aspects of the whole prohibition paradigm. It is, is, isn't it? It's actually what it does to you personally. It's actually individuals feeling that they do not warrant um, being considered. Um, and we are. We're people. We contribute to the rest of the world, to society, to our communities and to other people's communities. Um, just because we use drugs doesn't mean that the, uh, you know, the other 23 hours of the day we don't do what the rest of the world does. We can't just assume that we are bad uh, or mad because we use illicit drugs. It's or, just they don't equate. Or totally defined by, by that the drug. one yeah, behaviour. Absolutely. It's just an aspect of your... And really, look, there's an article roughly about this. The UK has wasted 50 years fighting a losing war on drugs. This is an international one. It's about the UK. It's by Matha Busby. OK, on the 50th anniversary of the Misuse of Drugs Act, Vice World News Analysis shows just how catastrophically it has failed. Now, I love that station... I love Viceland, yeah, Vice Land, Vice News, me them. <laughs> and I, look, it's um, thirty-one on uh, your, or you know, it's an SBS channel, but it's a really good. It has some terrific, in, terrifically interesting programs on. It's really worth watching. Those who haven't. Anyway, the article goes on. Drug-related deaths, prevalence of use, and the availability of drugs have all skyrocketed in the UK since the current prohibition regime was introduced 50 years ago this week, analysis of historic data shows. The foremost aim of the Misuse of Drugs Act, or the MDA, passed by Parliament in 1971, was to prevent or decrease the use of drugs, it pro of the drugs it prohibited. However, with some inevitable fluctuations and variations between drugs, it has increased unyieldingly. The MDA may not have caused this rise in use, but reform advocates argue that the Act should be judged against its own stated objectives, which, on all accounts, it has objectively failed. That's something we say often, isn't it? it, it prohibition has failed not only by the way we perceive it, but, but by, by its, its own, own measurements. Its own yes. measurement. You know, like they announced the drug-free world by 1998 or something. A bit like you... getting rid of poverty. Yeah. I mean... It may be an aim for some people, but it's an unreasonable, it's not, irrational aim. And it's not based in reality. No. And what has happened, as this article is saying, is that really it's just increased incrementally because the more drugs you make illegal, the more people become illegal drug users because of the kinds of drugs they're using. And did, what did you say, Jeffrey? 400 drugs... Introduced over the last 12 months, that's more than one, one a, day. a day, simply because of the combinations of chemicals that they are that are put together and people consume. Exactly, change a molecule here and there. That's right. And a little bit of a tweak and it's no longer against the law, but it will be tomorrow because when the law they're catches always up. chasing their tail yeah. to catch up with the new drugs that people are using. Steve Rolls, the article goes on, senior policy analyst at Transform Drug Policy Foundation, said of the MDA, or the Misuse of Drug Act, quote, despite the untold billions spent, it has utterly failed in its goals to reduce use and health harms, but has criminalised millions and fuelled dangerous drug illegal trade here and around the world. That's the end of his quote. 
A leaked government report from 2005 estimates that seizure rates have never exceeded 20% of all drugs that make it into the country. This is the UK. The article on Saturday in the Canberra Times says that 34% of drugs are interdicted in Australia. So that's interesting that they only say 20% in the UK. Um, while the volume of confiscated cocaine has increased by more than 650 times since the 1970s to 4,274 kilograms in 2019, the amount of the drug in circulation is many times that. The police boasts of preventing tonnes of seized coke from, quote, reaching the streets, end quote, and have done little to stop the UK from ha having the highest rate of cocaine use in Europe. The grim cost of the MDA's failure is most starkly traced through drug-related death statistics. The number of fatalities rose slowly in the uh, early 70s before a steep rise towards the end of the decade, which accelerated further in the 80s. In 2016, he took a massive overdose of both drugs and would have died if a fellow user had not administered naloxone, which we advocate all the time, which has for some time been distributed to users in their families and their families and associates. Um, it felt like being given an electric shock, he says. It brought me around immediately and saved my life, so I'm very thankful to the, that the police are going to be using it in the future. Thank you. No, Jumped to page, one? page nine. You're right. I'm on page, going back to page 70, seven, rather. Um, I think that's the police using the Loxane story in the UK. It is police using the Loxane story. Do you want me to take story? over? Yeah, Jeffrey, you better because I have lost page nine. All right, data before 1993 is relatively patchy, but according to official mortality statistics unearthed by Transform and analysed by Vice World News, fewer than 100 people died due, due to drug over drug misuse in, 19, in 1971. Found it. <laughs> by 19, oh, good, that's good. Look, it's it's, it's easy. There's yeah, lots of pages. By 1987, the annual total in England and Wales had passed 200 deaths, and by the time a more comprehensive monitoring framework was finally put in place in 1993, the total had reached 831, exceeding 1,000 deaths for the first time in 1995. Yeah. The number had risen to 2,883 by 2019, which was a record high. This represents close to a 3,000% rise over the half century. This time period also saw Scotland become Europe's drug death capital with a mortality rate 10 times the EU average. It was interesting that that bit that I read went straight into a naloxone bit, which is actually relevant to what we're talking about nonetheless. So it's just, yeah, they hang together, don't they, these stories? And it's a good thing that police in the UK are? Are using naloxone, yeah. And, uh, yeah we very should, positive. I think we should be doing that in Australia too. I think so. Look, the more... Naloxone that's in the greatest number of hands. First responders, oh, look, I would like community. Mr. and Mrs. You know, straight person to be carrying, you know, Nixoid or naloxone with them in their handbags or in their in their pockets, just because I think it's such a useful thing to have. And you know, who knows when people are going to overdose, even just from their own opioids or yeah. I, I remember one time two years back, Sam, when we were still in Civic, um, re re revived somebody who was 
overdosed across the road at the bus stop. Yes. Yeah. So and, you never know when it's going to happen. Don't know when it's going to happen, and particularly with drug combinations that will sneak up on people. Sometimes it, they'll look like they've just gone to sleep on a seat at the bus stop, and that's probably what happened with Sam. This is why the training and getting the really is so important. important. Yeah. Anyway, the piece goes on. Before sy- uh, systematic national monitoring began in the mid-1990s, there are just a handful of snapshot surveys on how many people were actually using drugs. In the late 1960s, it was estimated that less than 5% of young people had used an illegal drug. By 1995, that figure had risen to almost 50%. Today, the rate of illegal drug use in the UK is one of the highest in the world, with more than a third of people in England and Wales estimated to have taken drugs. Surveys and modelling suggest that the prevalence of cannabis use has increased more than fivefold in the 50 years since the passing of the Act, reaching at least 2.5 million people. The United Kingdom often sees the most annual weed seizures in Europe and it's thought that up to 90% of the UK's supply is now grown domestically. There is no useful survey data from the time that the Act was introduced, but in 1970, a Home Office, quote, addicts index of doctor-notified people using heroin numbered below 1,000 people of 2,661 notified users of all drugs. While this likely does not represent the true scale of usage at the time, it is a fraction of the 142,000 people who sought treatment for opiate use in England and Wales in 2018-19. Use of other drugs such as MDMA and ketamine has also surged from the late 1980s onwards. Warnings that the £9 billion market is becoming increasingly violent continue to increase. Carol Black, the author of a Home Office commissioned review into drugs, noted this February that drugs appear to be a major driver of recent increases in serious violence in the UK. Home Office analysis estimates that the social and economic costs caused by legal drugs to society and the criminal justice system amount to around £20 billion per year, twice the value of the estimated £9 billion market, while only £680 million is spent on treatment and prevention. Instead, the state's solution tends to be criminalisation and incarceration. More than a third of imprisoned people are inside because of drug-related crime, and the average six-week sentence gives limited time for treatment. These sentences are therefore widely regarded as a social tax and an occupational hazard, and to make matters worse, one in seven prisoners in the UK become dependent on drugs inside. Yeah, crazy. Before the um, MDA's introduction, there were warnings of the unintended consequences of prohibition in both Parliament and civil society. A 1967 advertisement in The Times, paid for by the Beatles, cautioned that it provides, quote, a potential breeding ground for many forms of drug abuse and gangsterism. It said... Quote, similar legislation in America in the 20s brought to, uh, the sale of both alcohol and heroin under the control of an immensely powerful criminal conspiracy, which still thrives today. We in Britain must not lose sight of the parallel. End quote. When the MDA was being debated in the House of Lords, criminologist Barbara Wooten foreshadowed today's tensions over stop and search, which disproportionately affects black men in London by a rate of 19, saying, quote, what we view with alarm from the point of view of individual liberty is that searches should be made on suspicion 
a suspicion which, as I tried to point out to the committee, in the great majority of instances cannot be based on any really solid grounds. That's the end of her quote. Somewhat bizarrely, the then Tory Home Secretary, Reginald Maudling, appeared to acknowledge the inherent contradictions of the legislation. And he's quoted as saying it's deplorable to see people drinking themselves into cirrhosis or smoking themselves into lung cancer, but nobody proposes that either activity should be pro- uh, prohibited by law. He told the com- Commons later, adding, making something, the House of Commons that is, later adding, making something illegal sometimes causes it to be more attractive to some people, which is something we tend to overlook too that the romance of illicit nature. Some people love to live on that edge between criminality and straight society and they thrive on it. Anyway, the article goes on, serious concerns also exist over how prohibition was empowering corrupt police officers. In the 1960s, the National Civil Liberties Council warned that drugs were allegedly on occasion being planted on suspected cannabis smokers. This is not a great surprise to any of us that It used to be seen as a conspiracy theory, but it's true, it happened. And it's since been acknowledged as a common drug squad practice. A 1968 Home Office report into cannabis concluded there's no evidence, this is a quote, there's no evidence that, quote, cannabis use, end quote, bracket, is causing violent crime or aggression, antisocial behaviour, or is producing in otherwise normal people conditions of dependence or psychosis requiring medical treatment. That was the evidence that based stuff they were talking about at 68. It, is advocated a poli- uh, it advocated a policy aimed at suppressing excessive use and restraining the moderate use within due limits, largely through taxation as part of a system of licensed and centralised cultivation. The disaster of the past 50 years has not gone unnoticed, with more than 40 MPs and peers, that's the House of Lords in the UK, last month condemning the Misuse of Drug Act as unfit for purpose, criticised it as failing to reduce consumption and increasing harm, and calling for immediate reform to protect human rights, promote public health and ensure social justice. Now, that's 40 MPs and peers, and that we can only applaud that and say that's what we've been saying. Yeah, well, especially given how difficult it is for many um, politicians to actually speak out on the issue Absolutely. of prohibition. You know, they, well, they either have a policy or they have a, a prime minister or, you know, a front bencher who turns around and basically squashes them underfoot. Yeah. Um, and the media they will don't even them. They don't even have conscience votes on stuff like this no. in Parliament, whereas you would with lots of other things that res- relate to individual behaviours, Geoffrey, but no drugs are considered to be a scourge. Um and, you know, they're just coloured black, no matter which way you look at it. And I don't mean that in a in an Indigenous sense. I just mean that in terms of bad. They're considered yeah. bad. They equal bad. And that's yeah. just wrong. And it, it limits the capacity for an intelligent debate. That's what really does my head in. It'd be one thing if there's evidence and debate and people to and fro and, you know, disagreement. Well, the, and that's because the evidence, Geoffrey, doesn't say what the anti-drug 
an anti-drug squad wants it to say. Yeah. The evidence says quite the opposite yeah. to what they wanted to say. The only thing, the only argument they can make that makes sense to anybody else is a moral argument. Is intoxication okay? Yeah. No? Yeah. And then when you argue it along that ground, well, no, in a lot of ways intoxication is not a good thing, but there are certain intoxicants we will put up with yeah. and others we won't. But why does morality become valid then in that? Be, well, morality then becomes law. And yeah. if you look at the laws in a lot of ways, they do reflect you know, the Ten Commandments in a lot of ways, but they are also about the haves and the have-nots. Mm. And you cannot deny that no matter which way you look. But a very interesting 50-year reflection, I it thought. It is. And I'm pleased to hear it coming out of the United Kingdom. We hear, um, we're hearing quite a lot out of the United States at the moment mm -hmm. about uh, wanting to change the drug laws yeah. because they are where marijuana is concerned. Yeah. Um, so it's good to hear stuff from the UK as well. And we know that there are you know, like-minded people here, there and everywhere. It's just a matter of them getting... The opportunity to be heard, yeah. as you know, we are. Maybe they should be doing a radio program like us, Jeff. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I wanted to play this one for a while. It's one of the great um, psychedelic tracks. It's by the 13th Floor Elevators, which were a Texas band from the 60s, and it's called um, Slip Inside This House. This is 13th Floor Elevators. All right, that was the 13th Floor Elevators for Slip Inside This House. And one um, interesting thing, Marion, um, speaking about people who have their careers affected by drug laws, the lead singer of that band, who were highly successful and their career was about to take off, but they were based in Texas, the lead singer, um, the police were really on their case and he got caught with cannabis and ended up being um, put into a psychiatric institution. Wow. How long ago was that, Jim? In the 60s. In the 60s. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. I was actually a teenager in the 60s, Jeffrey, because I was born in 1952. So that was sex and drugs and rock and roll time and when the pill came in and, you know, the, uh, we had the moratorium against the Vietnam War and a lot of people, I've said this many times on air, that um, a lot of soldiers were coming back from fighting the Vietnam War with um, heroin addictions from, you know, fighting in the Golden, in the, uh, golden Triangle, basically. That's what they called it then and still do. So yeah, it was a um, it was a real problem. I mean, the young people were coming up and saying, "No, we want to be counted. We want to have fun. We don't want to drink alcohol, but we still want to have fun. We don't want to be violent. We don't want to fight your wars." So that was. But then they had the other side, which was the interdiction side and the policing side, and in fact, you know, at Jade Gahoover saying, but you're not going to have fun the way you want to have fun. We're, in fact, they went down four dead in Ohio, you know, was the song by Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young when they went down. They were having a, um, a protest against the Vietnam War and they shot four students dead. Yeah. Um, and this was no real reason. They were protesting not violently, peacefully. Yeah. And they just killed people. But people's careers were damaged by the use of drugs or and they were they were just messed around being sent to psych hospitals nobody wanted to acknowledge that illicit drug use existed let alone that people who might be admired like rock and roll stars um, that they participated in it. Yep. They hounded the Rolling Stones for just the same yeah, thing. Same story. The Beatles got hounded yep. for coming back with um, 
for having anything to do with um, um, LSD mm. and, you know, or even with non-drug-related relaxants. Yeah. It was just a crazy time. Anyway, look, we'll go on to the... You, we did say that the United States had pretty much the same kind of um, uh, result. They had 50 years. The 50th anniversary... The article is, on the 50th anniversary of the war on drugs... A new poll shows the majority of voters support ending criminal penalties for drug possession. Think drug war is a failure, it says. And this is by Matt Sutton from drugpolicy.org from June the 9th. So ACLU and the Drug Policy Alliance call on Biden to begin ending the failed war by commuting sentences of people incarcerated for drugs. New York, New York, so good they named it twice. Today, ahead of the 50th anniversary of when President Richard Nixon declared the, quote, war on drugs, end quote, the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, and the Drug Policy Alliance, or DPA, released a bully pulpit interactive, or BPI, poll, showing strong support for eliminating criminal penalties for drug possession and replacing it with a new approach centred in public health. June the 17th marks 15 years. That's two days away, gang. 50 years. Hey? 50 years. 50 years. Sorry, what did I say? Five. 15. 15. Oh, sorry, 50 years since President Nixon famously declared drugs as the public enemy number one. This proclamation waged a full-out offensive that has pumped hundreds of billions of dollars into law enforcement, leading to the over-surveillance and incarceration of millions of people, disproportionately black, Latina and Indigenous people. The new poll shows the vast majority of American voters believe the policy has been a failure that has only increased drug-related harms and contributed to overcrowding the nation's jails and prisons. Among the poll's findings are 66% of voters support, quote, the eliminating criminal penalties for drug possession and reinvesting drug enforcement resources into treatment and addiction services. Two, nearly two-thirds of the country believe we need a new approach based in public health not law enforcement. 63% say drug use should be addressed as a public health issue, while only 33% say it should be addressed as a criminal justice issue. The next 83% say the war on drugs has failed. And, the, and these the war on drugs is in common, and we always say, I mean, how do you have a war on an inert substance? I don't know. It is, it's kind of like a contradiction in yeah, terms, yeah. really, because they don't fight back. This exceeds 80% amongst Democrats, 83%, that is. Independents, 85%, and Republicans, 82%. Wow. Yeah, they're high figures. 65% of voters support ending the so-called war on drugs. 64% of Americans support repealing mandatory minimum sentences for drug crimes. 61% of voters support commuting or reducing the sentences of people incarcerated for drugs. Well, people have to remember there's over 2 million incarcerated, and I think about over a million are for non-violent and, and, drug crime. And uh, incarceration seems to be the, the 
option of choice when it comes to, you know, what do we do with people who are committing non-violent crime? Lock them up. Yeah, lock them up. When in doubt, lock them up. Because at least that keeps some people employed, even if it's not the people that we're locking up, obviously. Anyway, the quote from Cassandra Federick, Executive Director of the Drug Policy Alliance, a different reality, one where we treat people who use drugs with dignity and respect and one where drugs are no longer an excuse for law enforcement to survey, harass, assault and even kill black, Latina and Indigenous people. It is 100% possible and these results clearly prove that. That was Cassandra Fredericks. Uh, comment she goes on to say 50 years later it's no secret that the devastating devastation the drug war has caused to our communities and yet drug possession still remains the most arrested offence in the United States and so it should come as no surprise that Americans are ready for a drastically different approach one where drugs are no longer used as an excuse to hold us down we deserve to live in a world where the health and safety of our communities is paramount. And that means eliminating the ways in which we are criminalising and building an alternative response to get that support and help we need. Yeah, she goes on to say, on this 50th anniversary of the drug war, President Biden must make good on his campaign promises and take steps to begin dismantling the system of over-policing and mass incarceration that is endemic to the war on drugs. Today, drug possession continues to be the number one arrest in the United States with more than 1.35 million people arrested each year. Every 25 seconds, a person is arrested for possessing drugs for personal use. Every 25 seconds, Marion. That's ridiculous, isn't it? With black people disproportionately targeted by this over-policing, said Udi Ofo, director of the um, American Civil Liberty Union's Justice Division, and he's quoted as saying, the Biden administration can make headway in ending this harmful and racist war by commuting the sentences of people incarcerated in federal prison for drugs. Biden does not need con congressional approval to act, but doing so will help reduce the problem of mass incarceration and the over-policing of black and brown communities in the United States. On any given day, tens of thousands of people are incarcerated for drug possession Thousands are convicted and they cycle through jails and prisons, spend ex extended periods on probation and parole, often burdened with crippling debt from court-imposed fines and fees. Their criminal records can lock them out of jobs, housing, education, welfare assistance, even voting and even more, and subject them to discrimination and stigma, which we say every week. Mm. The cost to them, to their families and communities, as well as to the taxpayer, is devastating. Next week, the ACLU and uh, Drug Policy Alliance will launch a paid media campaign to urge President Biden to begin dismantling the drug war by commuting the sentences of people incarcerated in federal prisons for drugs. The campaign will mobilise millions of uh, American Civil Liberties Union and Drug uh, Policy Alliance members to ask President Biden to take this action. Mm, I think we should do much the same thing in Australia. I just think it's sensible. Wouldn't that um, be lovely? It would. I can't see it having any success, basically, with our current um, federal government. Seems unlikely. Uh, sounds like...
Oh, the classic Johnny Cash and Ring of Fire. That's what I say, Jeffrey. Not necessarily about drug use, but certainly possibly about diarrhoea. Well, he went to jail for amphetamines. He went to jail a couple of times, didn't he? Had a couple of stints in jail, and then he performed, performed in, in jail. In prison, so yeah. he was a, you know, he was a drug user, but he was also psychoaffected in that he had a bipolar affect, and I think he used his uh, drugs for what they did for him and how yeah. they got him out of either his, his the depths of his uh, depression or when he was way too um, active, brought him down a little bit so that he could, was, you know, self-managing. Um, anyway, just like to remind you all about the illicit drug reporting system again. Um, 62533643, you can ring today to find out about getting yourself, uh, whether you're eligible, first of all, to participate in the uh, in the, to the research and talk to Julia. Um, one of our listeners has rang up and got an appointment within about an hour or so of when she made the call. So there will be appointments available, um, certainly when you probably want to do it rather than just when they're, they're there. But they'll be there from 9 till 4, Till Friday, from to, well, they're certainly at Karma today, um, nine till four, possibly at the health building from tomorrow until Friday, and then on Monday there again, and possibly Tuesday, depending upon how many people come in. But the more people come in, the more information they garner, and the more we have to give to government to say, look, we're here, we exist, we live, we breathe, and what's more, we contribute. Yeah. to your need to know. <laughs> and word of mouth spreads pretty quickly when IDRS are in town and That's people... right, yeah. And when you know that, you you know, you get, what, 40, 50 bucks for participating in the survey, it's worth doing it, you know, for three quarters of an hour of your time. And it's a crucial snapshot of trends. Of what's and, happening, yeah. yeah. And the questions that you are answering um, are questions that they need to know Often they ask questions and the information is not used. Um, sometimes it's used in a way that we don't want it to be used. The arguments for and against drug use can sometimes uh, be found in research like this, but it helps us as well as it helps interdiction. Well, if you want so evidence-based policy, you need the you've evidence. You've got to have the evidence you first, have have and the evidence. this is where it's provided. <laughs> That's right. Um, the other thing is, please don't forget that next Tuesday at Ainsley Village, there is a harm a, a naloxone or nixoid workshop. Um, how to learn to save people from um, yep yeah, okay bring them back from being dead. So yeah. we need to know how to do that. Get in touch with Dave or Damon six two five three three six four three, and we will talk to you next week. Is it time to we want? Uh, we're getting we pretty close to time. time. Um, just, yeah, uh, encourage people to um, let their friends and... Uh, yeah, talk to talk to your mates. Let your friends know. You get paid for research. You get paid for the workshop, the Naltrex, the Naloxone workshops. I keep saying Naltrexone. Naloxone workshops. Do them. They're really good value. And what you know can help you and your friends and even people you don't like stay alive. Keep them alive just to drive them crazy if for no other reason. Absolutely. But do the workshop and then you can teach other people how to use naloxone. Yep. It's a good well, drug. All right. Well, I hope um, listeners found something of interest in today's um, show. We'll be back again at the same time next uh, Tuesday on yep. 2XX. Both of us. And if you like 
our show, um, consider uh, financially supporting 2XX. They run on the smell of an oily rag. They do. Public radio is a great way of getting your voice heard out there. And, yeah, join 2XX. It's a great sponsorship to have. And it supports radio shows like ours and, like, uh, looking after the environment, stuff like that. Yeah. Indeed. So we Anyway, look after each other. Look after yourselves and we'll talk to you next week. We'll be back next week. Take care, everyone. Bye. And we'll leave with the, the uh, theme song. With the theme. The, the, uh, the Stranglers, sorry. Golden Brown. <laughs>